Hi, welcome to Promo Insiders, a podcast that covers the issues that matter most to the promotional products industry. I'm Chris Rubo for ASI, and today I'll be chatting with Frank Carpenito. Frank just earned promotion from president of Top 40 supplier Gemline to president and CEO. It's one of the most notable promo executive moves of the young year. With Frank leading the day-to-day operations at one of Promo's biggest suppliers, we thought it would be interesting to hear his insights on the future of Gemline and the industry, opportunities and challenges for Promo, and what our industry can learn from the consumer products market. We'll get into all that today. Frank, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Chris. Happy to be here. Awesome. Um, I should add too one one more little um, aside before we jump into the questions. Uh, Jonathan Isaacson, who is a longtime Gemline leader, who um, was previously CEO, is still very much involved with Gemline. Of course, he's taken on the role of executive chair. So just if there was any questions about that, if pe- people weren't aware of this move yet, I just wanted to clarify that to start. And um, with that, Frank, we'll jump into the questions. Uh, so what are some of your big goals for Gemline in, in 2023? And, and how do you see the company going about achieving them? Yeah, so I think um, there's a few things that we're really focused on uh, this year. You know, first and foremost for us, um, it's really about repeating the success we've had the past three years. And, you know, we sort of define that with continued commitment to our people, our customers, our products, technology, and the environment. And everything we've done in the last three years sort of centers around those things. So uh, one big goal for us is to continue that success by leveraging those those pillars. A second area um, that we spent a lot of time talking about internally and externally is expanding what for us has been a highly successful, exceptional customer experience initiative mm-hmm. that we launched uh, a few years ago, Chris. And, you know, and for us, what that's all about is, you know, we're, we're told by our customers that we're servicing them well, but we know we can always do better. And what we've established for a goal there is to continue to raise the bar for service excellence mm-hmm. uh, in our in our company. And that's both serving our internal customers as well as our external uh, customers. You know, a, a third area, and this is going to be no surprise because I suspect it's on the list for every supplier. Mm-hmm. is to accelerate our technology integrations across mm. the entire customer base, regardless of customer size. Um, and what that's going to require for us is to continue to disproportionately invest in technology. And, you know, we spend um, a large portion of our CapEx every year against technology, and we spend a large portion of our operating expenses against technology. We we believe it's a differentiator and, and a goal that, you know, we'll continue to have on our list. Um, the last two... Uh, probably pretty obvious, Uh, Mm -hmm. continue to lead for us hard goods suppliers in the area of corporate social responsibility. And and that for us, it's both about efforts as well as impact. So what are we doing to move the needle as well as what have we done that moved the needle? So that's big for us in 23 again, you know, and and lastly, of of course, um, we wanna grow at a level that exceeds the industry growth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we think, one way for us to do that is to continue to elevate strategic and transparent alignment with our distributor partners, you know, and uh-huh. leverage the 65-year reliability and trust that we've had as a company mm-hmm. to advance at a level greater than where the industry moves. Well, man, there's a there's a lot going on there. Okay, to to start to start the year, some some big goals, but all all ones I think that are achievable. Um, just a couple quick follows on that because you've mentioned sure. some interesting things. Technology has been brought up as such a, a, a it's it's obviously the, the 
cost of technology is going. The need, the need, what you need to do to spend on technology to compete seems to be going up. Um, do you think that that's that's you know influencing the competitive landscape significantly in the in the industry, or how do you see it influencing the landscape in the industry? Yeah, and it's it's a great question. In fact, we um, our CTO Dave Gallant uh, just did a presentation to our board in December that um, he and I worked on. And, you know, one of the things we talked about is distributors have a number of different options that they can pursue on the technology side. They can join some of the various platforms that are out there. Um, they can obviously invest themselves. They can join franchise organizations. Suppliers, it's a little bit different. Um, for suppliers, you either have to invest in technology to keep up, stay ahead or get ahead. Mm -hmm. um, or you need to sell your business or you run the risk of falling into a chasm and getting lost okay. um, because, you know, the industry and the market is moving fast with technology. Our mm -hmm. distributor partners are looking for us to integrate more aggressively. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it becomes a really heavy lift mm -hmm. um, for a lot of smaller and mid-sized suppliers because mm -hmm. of the, to your point, because of the cost of continuing that move that needle forward. That's interesting. So do you think it um, that, that technology factor will drive more consolidation on the supplier side, more, more M&A? Yeah, I really do, because I think, um, like I said, if you're a smaller mid-sized supplier, whether it's technology, um, whether it's, you know, compliance standards overseas, um, the, the costs just continue to increase, you know, and now people are dealing with the cost of money being higher. Yeah. So I think some of that is going to just drive more consolidation and, you know, technology is at the forefront of that because to, to your point, whether you're you're buying hardware or you're bringing on a consultant to help you, mm -hmm. um, it's quite expensive. Got it. Really, really interesting stuff. So um, we might have hit on some of this um, already, but lo longer term. How do you see Gemline's position in, in promo kind of evolving over the next uh, you know, five years or so? Sure. Well, I think the first one's pretty obvious. It's it's been one of our trademarks for a number of years. It's you know aggressive expansion into additional uh, product categories and segments. Um, that'll continue for us. Um, being recognized as the only company to have its entire line be PVC free, uh, we think will be something in the future that uh, will be a big part of Gemline. We made that commitment about a year and a half ago to be there by 2025. Um, we're well on our way. It's a significant lift in terms of resources and costs oh, to yeah. get there, but we believe in it and we believe it's something that'll position us quite differently in the future. Um, leading with technology, you know, we talked technology a few minutes ago, but leading with technology and really focusing on eliminating the complexity and redundancy that exists in the system today for both distributors and suppliers. Mm -hmm. um, we think we can make a big difference there. Um, and then I would finally say, you know, at a time where distributors are consolidating suppliers, um, mm -hmm. we, we expect to and always want to make sure we're in the mix mm. on the back end of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. It, interesting points. And, um, you know, you, you've mentioned co corporate responsibility and, and initiatives like sustainability as being kind of core to Gemline. And there's been some interesting stuff, I, I think, that Gemline has done from, um, if I, I think it was October last year, this, the solar array at your at your headquarters went operational. It's a big deal. There's the FSC certification, I think, on um, yes. on, on certain products. So, so there's a lot of action. And then I think most recently there was, you partnered, um, and of course the name's going to escape me, right, with 
out of the ocean. There we go. The the bag brand out of the ocean. So so a lot happening on that front, both on the back end for Gemline and uh, and on who you're choosing to partner with is as well, and, and the products you're bringing to market. Yeah, it's not a great observations. You know, we 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 have always been a company. It's been our our DNA that Jonathan you know put in here many years ago, where CSR was always important to the company. We didn't used to talk about it as actively with our customers and with our employees as we do today. Um, and frankly, you know, two, three years ago, we stepped on the gas pedal with the number of things that we wanted to do, whether it was within our community, uh, with our employees, with our suppliers, or, you know, things like the solar installation. And we've always been aggressive on the product front around CSR, but it, it, for us, it's it's sort of a way of life and part of our DNA. Um, and it's one that we just continue to enhance in terms of focus. Yeah, it, it certainly seems to be building year year over year. So in, interesting stuff there. So um, I'm going to pull the focus off Gemline here for just a little, for a second, go a little broader, kind of talk about um, your background a little bit. Um, as I understand it, you spent, you know, several decades, a couple, couple of three decades in the consumer products market. Um, you had some very high level and visible roles there. And I'm, I'm wondering, given all that experience that you have in that market, what can our industry learn from the consumer products industry that could, you know, make us more successful? Well, first off, Chris, full disclosure, the company is more way more exciting than my background. So, okay. <laughs> uh, but, but with that, I'll still try to answer your question. Sure. So, you know, I think one of the things, and um, I've had this conversation with a number of people over the last year because I often get asked that question since mm -hmm. I, you know, I came from a sort of different industry segment, albeit similar. You know, I think that the biggest thing that I think I saw in consumer products is, and we need to do here is suppliers and distributors must move from transactional to strategic partnerships to truly advance the value proposition that both of us bring to the table. And, you know, it's it's really easy for all of us that grew up in and around consumer products. It's really easy to get caught up in transactional dialogue. And I think it's something that as an industry, the more we do to talk about strategy and align with our partners and vice versa, with strategy, we can really move the needle on both the size and the value of the industry uh, in terms of our customer base. You know, I think a second piece that, you know, really played out in my years, particularly with bigger companies that I was with, um, and it's something that I'd like to see more of in our industry is, you know, decision-making move, moving much more towards an analytics-based decision-making process, a little less so an instinct and perception. There's always gonna be a balance. You know, we're, we're human beings, there's always gonna be a balance. But I think we've got a demographic that's sitting in the buyer's chair um, at our end customers that ultimately is starting to look at metrics more, use metrics more, you know, everything on e-commerce is about metrics. We just need to take our decision-making a little bit more there. And I, I saw that in the traditional consumer industry. Um, and I probably say the last two things, uh, one may be slightly controversial, but um, one of the things is we need to be aware of greenwashing. You know, we're trying to continue to bring up the perception and value of our industry and what we mean um, to the overall marketplace. And we just need to make sure that as everybody races to do more with CSR and ESG, that we're able to identify any greenwashing that could creep into our industry. And I think the last learning, and I learned this from, you know, dealing with people like Walmart and Target and Kohl's Walgreens and others over the years, you do not need hundreds of suppliers to successfully and profitably grow a distributorship. And I say this one could be a little bit controversial, but 
I think the number of suppliers that our distributors have to work with or are working with today is adding tremendous complexity and inefficiency to our ability to transact business with one another. So it's something that I saw flush out and make for a better industry in traditional consumer products. And I suspect it's something we can learn a bit from in our industry. It's, it's hey, it's it's very it's very interesting, and it's a controversial. Or not it's a candid observation, and it's um it's certainly a conversation that I've heard in, in the industry that you know you 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 that 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 type of consolidation or streamlining of who you partner with does can can create efficiencies if you're working together in the right way, sure. specifically through the um through some of the technology um. Uh, uh, interactions that you can that you can have when you're really interlocked with each other. So in interesting stuff on the CSR front too. Greenwashing um, at ASI, we we've been um, covering a lot of the industry's evolution, if you will, on 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 sustainability. And we have a site uh, promo for the planet. And what greenwashing is a topic that's now coming up often because. And, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in the industry, of course, but so many companies now recognize what Gemline has for a while, that that, is in, that should be an important part of your business and that, that buyers are looking for that. But we ought to make sure it's not just something in a press release or, or a marketing blog, that it has to actually be real action behind that and that it can be substantiated. So that's that's a great point, I think. Yeah, and I, and I, I saw a lot of that. Um, I was involved uh, when USDA began to certify organic foods and you had all natural foods and organic foods and conventional foods. And what happened is at a point in time, everybody was making claims that they were all natural and all natural wasn't regulated or certified. Um, and that led to sort of greenwashing and lawsuits. And, you know, it just it started a spiral in the industry for about two or three years. So it's something as an industry we want to be extra sensitive to. All right, good stuff. Um, so next question here. Um, what are some of the the big trends you see playing out? We're of course talking, you know, back in our industry here, um, playing out for promo in, in 2023. And um, if there's any particular product categories you want to point to, or just you know, things that you might not have mentioned yet, um, you know, on, on an operational standpoint, really anything's fair game. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm going to sound a little redundant on a couple of the responses, Chris, but I, I think it's important. So and you might be surprised the order in which I share these. So number one, I really think is about technology acceleration and whether it's direct integrations with suppliers and distributors, uh, expansion of promo standards, um, more distributors adding e-commerce into their mix. Um, I do think that 2023 we will see that trend accelerate and it'll create more separation and differentiation uh, in the marketplace. So uh, it's a redundant theme you're obviously hearing from me. And I think we've heard a lot on the show circuit in the past few weeks. Um, I think a second thing is, you know, heightened interest in responsible sourcing and suppliers. And I don't mean just in eco-friendly products, because that's often a, you know, a perception. People say, well, we've got eco-friendly. But it's really about, you know, what are the sustainability practices? What are the business practices? What are the employee practices? What are the DEI commitments companies have? That I think if you look at the demographic of the buyers, um, that demographic wants to know more about who they're doing business with and the products and brands that go well beyond what the recyclable content is in the product itself. So I think we'll see more of that. We're starting to have distributors ask for more detail information that supports that uh, story. And the last couple of things I would say, um, and this one, I spent a lot of time on the road in the last nine months, and I heard repeatedly, which is a focus on service excellence and reliability, 
regardless of, I'm going to say, regardless of market and supply chain conditions. And what I mean by that is distributors have had to listen to suppliers for two years talk about our challenges with supply chain, our challenges with staffing, um, our challenges with A, B, and C. And their customers don't want to hear the excuses and the challenges. They want to know they can get serviced in a manner which they expect. So one of the things we heard loud and clear, 12, 13 months ago, everybody was worried about inventory. In the past six to nine months, everybody's worried about service level and reliability. So I think in 2023, we'll continue to see our distributors raise the bar for what their expectations are around service reliability. And I think that's important for the industry. It's important for all of us as suppliers to make sure we deliver against it. And the final trend, um, I think consolidation, you know, we're seeing it in distributors, we're seeing it in suppliers, there's been some M&A announced over the last uh, two weeks already on both sides. Um, and we've heard consistently the message of distributors reducing the number of suppliers that they'll do business with in 23. So I think those are some of the big trends. I'm sure there's a bunch more, but those are a bunch of the ones we're looking at. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on with all of them um, as, as being stuff people are, are certainly talking about and expecting and, and keeping an eye on. And the service level discussion, I, I, I really pinpoint on that. That seems to be, as you said, inventory was the bigger issue late 2021 and into early 2022. As the year went on, it was it was this the focus became service level. So put you on the spot a little bit, Sar. Do you think suppliers are going to be able to rise to meet that 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 demand? Like overall, are we going to see better service levels in 2023? I, I think yes, because I don't even think it's an option. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're a distributor, um, you need to be able to ensure you're going to get a service level north of 95%, um, or it's hard to conduct your business. So I, I think the answer is yes. I think we all will continue to focus and rise. And I think those who can't get their service levels to a satisfactory level um, will get penalized by our distributors because I think they've had enough challenges over the last couple of years, um, and they're just not going to accept it any longer. All right, interesting, interesting stuff. So we we talked about you know um, some big trends. Um, you know, uh, what about some 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 big challenges? Or uh, I guess parts some of the trends kind of touch on challenges. But are there other big challenges you kind of have in mind for the industry and in ways that maybe the industry can overcome those? Well, I think I'm going to state the obvious. And my first one is. Um, no matter what article you read, what person you listen to, who you talk to at the water cooler, um, we all know we're in some form of a recession or inflationary condition right now. And the question is whether it's slight to moderate or something north of moderate. So I think for 23, it's what's the extent and what's the degree of any kind of recession or inflationary pressures that we feel as a as an industry and as a society that'll be a huge challenge for us this year. Um, I hope it's not a huge challenge, but I think it's one that we're all anticipating um, or create a little bit of uncertainty, at least for a while. Um, I think, you know, I mentioned this, we talked about supply chain, but navigating the inconsistencies in supply chain and then the impact to inventory management as a result of it. So, you know, for the past 12 months, the supply chain really has been quite predictable. Um, things really settled down in 2022. Uh, most suppliers were able to navigate it, predict it, have the inventory, a product show up on time. 
But you know, now we're dealing with some slowdowns in China for you know the products that we source uh, in China still um, because of factory lockdowns for you know a week or two weeks because of COVID. So I think we'll continue to see some of those challenges. Some of the big um, shipping companies are starting to add stops uh, along their routes uh, getting to the U.S. so that they ensure that their containers are at full capacity. So what might have been a trip that took you know four weeks, it might take six weeks now because they've gone from three stops to six stops. So we really need to um, watch that carefully in the industry because we don't want to revert back to the challenges of 2021 in terms of supply chain inconsistency. So I think those are a couple of the bigger challenges um, that we'll see this year. All right, fair, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I've d- done a couple articles recently about the, the situation in China and how um, the COVID surge there coming right before uh, Lunar New Year is definitely creating some of the, oh, it's it's a little bit of those echoes of 2021 again. So hopefully it doesn't get anywhere near that level. But but yes, it 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 it, it certainly seems that that's something everybody's and not just our industry. We should be clear it, that's 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 worldwide because I think global manufacturing output from China is about 30 percent of the world's, you know, output so it's significant um so we talked about challenges though what are some big opportunities you see out there for the industry positive things <laughs> yeah and, and and we think there's a bunch of them um you know the, the good news is i think we're still in an industry that's uh you know growing and will continue to thrive and is evolving which are positive but um you know i think that the technology and csr races are, are big opportunities for suppliers uh in particular but for distributors as well if if we continue to develop, leverage, and invest in technology and CSR, um, I think we can drive increased momentum and opportunity across our market space. Uh, you know, a second thing in you know product and brand innovation and pushing the boundaries. I remember when I started here, a couple of people said to me, "Well, all we sell in this channel is uh, black and navy blue with white ink, and it's got to be something you can put a book in." or maybe something you drink out of. And you know, going through COVID, I think we all learned there were categories and segments that suddenly became really popular in our industry that have stayed that way. So I think really pushing the boundaries, whether it's colors, whether it's styles, whether it's products or brands, as to what the end customer that our distributors are servicing will consider and would like, will allow us to expand the depth in which we bring value you know, as an industry in, in total. And then I think, you know, the final big opportunity is, you know, the web direct segment or the e-commerce platforms that distributors are putting in place. Um, that represents a big opportunity for growth because we know there's a buyer out there and there's a lot of them that does not want to see us or anybody, you know, come visit them in their office or meet them at a local coffee shop or have to have an interaction on the phone. Um, they want to conduct their business using technology. So it's really important, I think, and opportunistic as an industry, you know, that we advance at a pace similar to what the, the B2C community has over the years to make sure that regardless of the buyer and how they want to buy and what they want to buy, that we make it easy and simple to conduct business in our channel. So I think those are all big opportunities for us, 23, 24, and, and beyond in some cases. Yeah, re- really interesting stuff, and I think we're going to see a lot of that come come to pass, uh, you know, over these over these next, you know, as you say, this year and then years going forward. So, um, one final uh, question for you here: um, Do you think that we'll we'll break a, an industry industry record in sales in in twenty twenty three, or for that matter, do you think we did it in twenty twenty two? 
Wow, okay, well, I'm glad you gave me a somewhat easy question to end with, Chris. Um, well, let me start with uh, 22. Um, I don't think we're, we're, we will have broken a record in 22, but I don't consider myself uh, a gambler or a good forecaster from that standpoint, so I'll wait till you guys release the final numbers, but I'm gonna guess not in 22. Um, you know, as far as 23, if, if you'll allow me to qualify my answer, uh, that would be great. Uh, I would say no, we won't break a record in 23 if we experience something north of moderate inflation or recessionary pressure. So if we're in that kind of moderate to high pressure for at least half the year, I think we'll be challenged um, to break a record in 23. On the optimistic side, I think if you know, what we've seen, I think, in recent months and probably what we're seeing right now is, you know, a little bit of light, maybe not even moderate uh, pressure, that if we stay in that course for under six months, um, I think all the positive momentum that we have in our industry coming through the last couple of years will continue um, and that we will get to a record by the end of this year. Obviously, my vote is for the latter, um, that I'd like to see a year where we can all uh, excel and our industry can grow and, uh, and set a new record. Well, my vote is certainly for the latter too. Um, I, I agree with you. I think a lot does depend on the, on the macroeconomic environment as as to how much we will grow. But I but I do think even in a recession that people are going to continue to invest in our industry because there's just so many opportunities for growth and and I think more people buying and using merch. I, I always bring this up, but like the, even just the, the influencers you see online, social media, and the way that, you know, younger demographics are even turning to merch to monetize things that they do, just all these little new niche opportunities, you know, that are informing uh, the larger opportunities that have been there for a while and opportunities to expand, you know, with with traditional customers. I think I think all long long term our industry is a great play, um, is a great place to be. Yeah, 100% agree with you. We we think there's a really bright upside for the industry, and uh, you know we're excited to hopefully be along for that ride. Okay, I, I suspect you will be. So, Frank Carpadito, the president and CEO of Gemline, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you know how thorough and candid you were with all your answers. I feel like I learned some stuff today. So, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Chris. I enjoyed it. And I appreciate your time.